What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Blunt Instruments. This is now episode 20. I am Luke. Let me introduce you to Jake. Jake, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? Good, good. So, uh, big news since last episode, we decided to start an Instagram account for this uh, podcast. We did. So, yeah, that's up and running. Um, it's, I suppose, just a way that we can keep everyone up to date on what we're doing without having our own sort of Instagrams a bit flooded and, and people can obviously sort of reach out to us on there as well. If they've got any questions that they want answered or, you know, just want to reach out and say hello, come over, have a look. Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea. I mean, I think you and I talked about it before and we were, no, we don't need to do that. And then I think what, uh, you know, when you texted me and said that maybe we should because somebody told you we should, (laughs) (laughs) won't mention any names, David, but um, (laughs) I was like, uh, you know what, at this point in time, like my only real concern was we have, you know, between the two of us like almost 12,000 followers on our Instagram account, which is yeah. <laughs> 95% you. But um, I was just like, you know, people already get the information from you. They get it from me. And now there's going to be a third place. Like, does anybody even care? But, you know, I mean, it's a good it's a good platform to have. And we've already got like well over 100 followers on there. So, you know, it just it just kind of shows how many people listen and you know, are eager to uh, see what's see what's next. So it's actually been kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. I think it's almost, it felt like time a little bit, didn't it, as well? You know, you sort of start off and you find your feet. And I think we had enough going on trying to work out what we were doing yeah. with just the podcast that we sort of felt like adding something else would be a bit difficult. But I think, yeah, now we're on episode 20 somehow. And that's 20 mm-hmm. weeks of episodes. It's, um, yeah, yeah, felt about right. Yeah, yeah. So episode twenty, we have Commando Bond coming up here shortly from or Caleb Daniels from Commando Bond. Um, we wanted to get him on. He is the weapons expert in this community, and um, you know this. Had, I, I don't want to say it was too different because now we're kind of starting to really loosen up the conversations, and you know, there's no scripts or anything like that. But this is very, very. Um, subject matter heavy if that makes sense you know he's uh you know we talk about different weapons different bond weapons um you know which one of the bond weapons would be a good one for somebody to buy for self-defense or to carry or i mean just a a wide amount of information in this one the the kid's smart as hell so it was really fun talking to him yeah i think i probably mentioned it a few times on the the episode but I think it was especially interesting for me where over here gun laws are obviously very different um we don't sort of go into politics or things which is nice because no one needs that on a podcast but um it's just interesting to hear a, a different point of view and a different you know subject matter that I've got no idea on so I think for for a few of our listeners in in different countries where guns aren't maybe so much part of the mainstream it's a really interesting chat about you know what's happening and you know how it all relates to the bond yeah yeah well without further ado i hope you guys like this one this is caleb daniels from commando bond <laughs> <laughs> all right here we are mr caleb daniels joining us 
aka Commando Bond. Thank you for coming on, sir. How are you today? Doing very well. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah, we're glad we're glad that you uh, were able to join us. So I want to start from the top because I think we'll start off with getting to know how you and your relationship with Bond started, and then we'll dive into the guns. So with that said, or weapons, I should say, with that said, what first got you into James Bond? Yeah, so um, I had never really interacted with it or heard of it until my my grandfather gave me like two of the Sean Connery like DVD sets when I was maybe like 12. And that was back when they were packaging them it made no sense at all like they were completely out of order and so looking mm -hmm. back on it i think it was like from russia with love diamonds are forever and goldfinger so i just i mean i still remember being like 12 so diamonds are forever is one of my like guilty pleasure movies because it was one of the movies that i first interacted with with bond but i have like very distinct memories of being like 12 watching that movie for the first time going what the hell happened to that guy like why is eyebrows so dark <laughs> right <laughs> like everything looks like painted on all of a sudden like like it's the same guy but it's really not right this jake is this the first this must he might be the first person we ever talked to whose uh guilty pleasure is diamonds are forever that yeah, that is a standout that's a standout answer i think we've had a hey, few someone has the to dice, wave the yeah. flag once in a while. <laughs> yeah somebody has to bite that bullet yeah, I'll take well, it. <laughs> I'd um, I'd love to sort of know there, Caleb. Like, obviously, um, you know, sort of going from from watching the films to actually sort of jumping into, I suppose, the overall Bond community and starting a page. We've talked about it a few times with with different sort of people that there's always that big sort of, I suppose, leap of faith, for lack of a better word, to sort of start everything up. What sort of gave you the the idea and said, "Yep, now's the time. I want to sort of jump in and and start, you know, on an Instagram page and and start creating content." Well, so first and foremost, I was I, I last semesters when I started this. I say semester because I was still in school. It was like January, and uh, my fiance had just graduated, and I was going to a school in the middle of nowhere in like northeast Missouri, and it was boring as high hell to be perfectly candid by myself because we had spent most time together. And so I was like, I really don't know what I want to do. I'm bored. I'm a marketing major. And I just kind of wanted to engage and kind of figure it out. And I had loved the Bond community for such a long time. And I really wanted to see more stuff about the guns and whatnot. And like that 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 whole stream. And I, I had a lot that I wanted to say. And so I kind of just took that leap because, one, I was bored. And two, I kind of figured it was, you know, it's now or never. And kind of got on right when like the, the renaissance um, kind of hit where everyone just started joining in the show but i mean there's so much cool stuff out there and there's so much amazing content being created i really wanted to become an active participant in that community because there was just so much being put out there that i was consuming and loving that i wanted to be able to contribute in any capacity that i could yeah see one thing i want to add too is you i'm pretty sure you have quite possibly the most unique page because i mean everybody you know there's certain people like Jake and I, or yeah, I would say, you know, like for example, Jake and I do kind of pretty much anything bond. And then, you know, there's people with the fashion, there's people with YouTube videos, podcasts, whatever, but I can't think of too many people that are solely based on the weapons. And if they are, they don't seem to have as much knowledge. So from what it looks like, and from what I understand, you do work with guns daily, correct? 
Yes. So the past six years, um, I've worked in firearms a little less in the past few months uh, as I just transitioned to some new you know, projects and whatnot. But I got hired on with a company a month after they had opened. And so I kind of grew up there. You know, I was 17 years old, which was funny because I could sell a gun. I just couldn't hand it to a client. So I'd have to like set it down on the desk or whatever and let them <laughs> pick it up with their own volition. And so kind of like this, this whole little game to kind of get around the, the the nuances and let things happen but so I, I kind of grew up the past six years professionally inside of the firearms industry I had some really unique opportunities like we had a gunsmith in store so I got to learn hands-on about some of the really unique stuff on like how things are like created the nuances of how things work and you know it, it made it an incredible opportunity and experience and something that I'll I'll cherish forever but I certainly wouldn't be who I am without that, and I certainly wouldn't be nearly as deeply woven into, like, the passions of the firearms community without that, without a doubt. Right. And what's, what state are you located in? I'm in Missouri, in the Kansas City. I, I say Missouri first because anytime I say Kansas City, people automatically assume Kansas. Um, right. It's Missouri. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Casey, Casey, Casey Moore are very, very different. We, 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 we fight a war over that easily. Mm-hmm. Jake, that was for you. Was that a, is that a state law with the 17 thing, or is that a federal law? That's that's a federal thing. That's the ATF. So it's kind of like you can't sell alcohol if you're under a certain age or whatever. Um, yeah. I could fill out paperwork. I could do all the all the ifs, ands, or buts. But the the reading of the law that our ATF compliance officer said was, well, just don't hand a gun to a client. Uh, just set it down and then have them pick it up. That was that was how we did business for the first six or seven months that I worked there before I turned 18 and then it became a lot easier. Interesting. But even then I couldn't even do like some of the silliest stuff, you know, I'm out there selling handguns, but we have a range in the store and whatnot. And I I couldn't shoot a handgun by myself if I was off duty because I was under the age of 21 and the lawyer said that was unliable. I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure I signed the safety waiver that says if someone shoots me, I can't sue you. So don't know why I can't go shooting myself. (laughs) So you know, it's it's definitely been it, it it was the best, and I I love every second. Yeah. So with that said, when it comes to bond, I mean, you said you know, like you said, you've been working technically professionally for the last six years with firearms. I'm a, I would take what I don't think would be a giant leap, and assuming that you've probably had a passion for them long before that, correct? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I I grew up uh, kind of. You know, the, the usual uh, American kind of sort of thing where I grew up hunting with my dad. You know, one nice thing about Kansas, because it is so boring and flat, there's a lot of really good bird hunting because there's just miles and miles of flat fields you can wander through throughout the entire day. So it was more of like that side of things. You know, your old wood guns. Um, that's why I love the Browning A5s and Thunderball so much because that's my dad and my grandfather. I mean, I grew up around those shotguns full time. So they, they tell a very unique story to me. But I would say, you know, the things that really transitioned me into what I like now is definitely the past six years, because I went from kind of being someone who liked guns and, you know, did little things here and there, but I, I didn't know anything. And I mm-hmm. would argue that I don't know too terribly much now. But um, once I started working in the industry, I really started picking up what I could and really became addicted to like the, the handguns, the, the carbines, the rifles, the, the, the non-traditional items, if you will. Not your right, grandpa's right. gun. The term we use in the firearms community for those listening is the FUD. I think the, the character Elmer FUD. 
Uh, yep. It's like a really old man in the gun community. That's that's kind of the world that most people grow up in, and it's out of that. And I'm very thankful that I did. Uh-huh. I have to ask a question because we, um, you know, talking about sort of the more sort of obscure weapons and things like that. We we did an episode with um on timothy dalton we have to ask you what the fuck was he using in the living daylights <laughs> that absolutely massive gun thing because like oh, me personally i know nothing about guns but i saw that and was like what is that thing so we said the on the podcast we have to ask you about this the the sniper he uses when he's in the tuxedo at the beginning of the film yeah that's it that's a uh so that, that's actually a walther rifle it's called the wa 2000 um it's like the holy grail of rifles for non-bond fans and bond fans alike because it was a really unique really dynamic i won't get into the weeds and like how the operating system and stuff was but it was like a bulk up sniper rifle super ergonomic that's why it was so big so i mean most of your your sniper rifles have a bull barrel anyway and that's additional mass on the barrel to allow it to kind of give you more forward weight to keep it level for you so your follow-up shots are a lot cleaner the board doesn't move when you shoot all that jazz, but yeah, they, they, they built out this super unique sniper rifle and it just cost way too much to make. So they stopped producing it almost as soon as they started. So you can't find them at all. And so when Dalton used it, I mean, it made sense. Of course they found like this super unique rifle that Walther made. They're like, Oh yeah, that's on brand for bond, bring it on in. <laughs> and I think it got sold. And then Walther paid like an inexorbitant amount of money to pick it back up. The one that was actually used in the film. And it's currently at the, uh, the museum slash headquarters of Walther in Germany. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I suppose with that, like, um, that, that's incredible that, you know, all of that, you know, I, like I said, I saw it and was like, wow, that's a massive gun. That looks weird. Um, so I, I suppose that shows the two different sort of, you know, knowledge <laughs> levels there. Um, but when you sort of go through the James Bond films, is that something, I suppose, that you you actively keep an eye out for with sort of the different weapons and things like that? Or is it almost, you know, sort of because you work in it day to day that you sort of just notice it? I hope that makes sense. No, yeah, I understand in full. I think it's a little bit of both. Like, I, I, I love finding out what's in the films and I kind of watch for it to see, like, what what needs to be added onto my wish list and then i cringe a little bit when i see things that give me like damn it that really happened you talk about timmy there for a moment um in license to kill he like jumps out of a helicopter in morning dress and he's wearing a um or and he has in his hand a taurus handgun which um not great they they're the worst handguns on the market next to a couple other manufacturers, but they give me, I, I hate them with a burning passion. And they mm. basically stole the plans for like a Beretta M9. And for whatever reason, because not a single U.S. agency or entity has ever utilized the Taurus clone, they he handed it the Taurus clone to him. And it's weird because if you listen to like behind the scenes conversations and such, the armorer for the film specifically selected the Taurus instead of the Beretta and said as much. So, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to buy all the guns that are used in the Bond films. It's just it's it's a lifelong thing. I'm like, well, there's no way in hell I'm putting that in my safe. <laughs> right. So it's funny you say that, too, because whenever I hear Taurus, I think of an airsoft gun. <laughs> I mean, it's about the same thing, except the Taurus will go off with the safety on and shoot you because they were in a class action lawsuit for that about five years back. That's kind of my, nice. my go-to line when I can't convince somebody away from a Taurus on the sales floor. I usually say, look, guys, 
I'm not commissioned. I just like sleeping well at night. And frankly, the $250 you're spending here and the $250 you're saving instead of buying something better isn't going to fix the hospital bill. So let's just right. buy something nicer. So I've got a question um, since you brought up like the sales side of it. How often do you get first time buyers in there? And then do they ever flat out tell you like, I've never owned a gun before, blah, 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 oh, blah, blah. It's like 99.99% of the time, especially now. Okay. But, uh, the, the company I'm with, we kind of built ourselves around being a non-traditional gun shop. If you, if you kind of look us up and you kind of look at what we, like our sales floor and layout, um, Frontier Justice is the name of the company. Um, they put a lot of time and effort into like the design of the sales floor. So instead of like having like the old gruff guy behind the counter and all the guns are behind him or whatever, um, their chest height T shaped jewelry cases sprawled out in a semicircle around like a center register area. And then the rifles and shotguns are on the side walls inside of class cases. So people are able to kind of walk around the floor, peruse. We have a classroom, we have a Milo simulator think like low budget die another day because that's still not reality um <laughs> and then we have the, we have the active range so we, we we do the training side we do the sales side and so people the non-traditional shooters actually like come to us in droves because they they feel more comfortable um at, at our location which is kind of fun it's actually that that's one of the reasons why i really liked the idea of starting a gun-based um bond channel is because um a lot of bond fans aren't from the states for sure and a lot of them don't have the opportunity to engage with the firearms and i feel like that's a very neglected part from like oh yeah the ppk is cool but there's so much more and i feel like the most important thing about firearms is quality education and making sure you understand how they operate work even if you're never going to touch right. one i think the most important thing is just to know how they work so you can be safe around one if you ever encounter one and so being able to kind of blend the pop culture of bond with my passion for that education kind of spawned my channel. So, um, kind of back to the question I asked you. So the, the main reason I asked you that question is because, and the way it's set up at your shop sounds pretty, um, like buyer friendly and newcomer friendly. The reason I asked is because last week, uh, a buddy of mine who already, he has a, a pistol and he has a hunting rifle that obviously he hunts with. And um, he wanted to buy a 12 gauge. So he and I and his father-in-law went to this gun shop around the corner. And of course, the first four we went to are basically out of stock. But yeah. uh, we finally make our way to this this one. We waited like almost an hour just to be able to talk to somebody. Then we finally talked to the guy. Um, he bought like a, I think it's a car. Does that sound mm -hmm. right? A yeah. Car. So it was in a car 12 gauge with the pistol grip and like the uh, door buster on the end. But um, when we were waiting to ring up the gun, this woman comes in and I could hear her from like across the store. She's like, OK, so I'm a first time buyer. I've never owned a gun, never shot a gun. I'm just like, wow, OK. But then eventually, like, I just stopped paying attention. And then next thing you know, five minutes later, she's just walking out the door and I'm like, what the hell happened? So because of COVID, they're only letting a certain amount of people in a, at a time, and they've got this woman standing right in front of the door. And my buddy's father-in-law said, what what happened? Why didn't she buy the gun? She apparently flat out said to the salesman, like, I've never had a gun, and I'm scared to own one. Like, I'm so scared to buy this, but I feel like I should. And he was like, I'm not going to sell you a gun then. Have you ever encountered anything like that, and would you have the same um, approach if somebody were to say that to you? No, um, my approach typically isn't like that because I, 
I wouldn't say oftentimes it's ended up ending up being fear. I mean, to some degree it is, but the biggest concern and the reason why people are afraid is the kind of the point that I made previously where it, it, it's kind of the fear of the unknown, right? They, they don't understand how it works and they're afraid of hurting themselves. And oftentimes when you start kind of nudging them a little bit, um, they'll, they'll kind of like chuckle to themselves and acknowledge the biggest concern they have is accidentally shooting themselves. Um, they're, they're really worried about like self-injury, but they're also worried about keeping themselves safe or their loved ones safe. And so you kind of, you, you drill down into that. And when we have someone like that that comes in, what we offer, and one of the things I recommend anybody who's new to firearms at all to do is we, we offer a class. You know, we say, first of all, take a class. And I know that to some people isn't helpful. So we designed a class. It's called our, our gun fitting. And we have a one-on-one with one of our instructors for three hours where one of these new shooters who's never touched a gun before in their life can go in with a new, with an instructor, shoot a variety of handguns and different calibers. Once we figure out what kind of the purpose is and like how, and when I say purpose, I just mean like, well, obviously it's for defense, but well, are you going to carry it on the body? Is it just staying inside the home? Cause that makes differences in what you're going to end up purchasing oh, yeah. this caliber, yeah. et cetera. And so we, we do a three hour course and then we get them set up with a handgun and then majority of those people walk out and, they're a lifelong education customer. They're people that I see week to week taking different classes with us, our basic pistol or skills two or our concealed carry class. And then they just come in for private lessons like once every couple of months to kind of just keep sharp and ask more questions. So I think the worst thing you can do is kind of push somebody out because at the end of the day, if they are after that, they're going to go buy it. So the best thing you can be is that leading hand that puts them in the safest position possible and the most educated hands possible. That's why I walk around, my my name tag says 007 on it, and I make jokes about pop culture references. <laughs> I point out pond guns on the sales floor, and I, I warm these people up to this industry in a different and unique way. And I think that really helps them feel more confident and comfortable because it's something they can connect with. Yeah, I agree. I like that approach. I think that's really interesting, especially from, I suppose, my sort of point of view here in Australia and also England where I've, I've lived as well um obviously the sort of culture around guns is very different like it's it's very different to sort of put it simply um and i think sort of what what we know about it and sort of the u.s gun laws we don't understand it because we're not there i think one of the things so it's really interesting to hear about you know the classes and the way that people are introduced to it in a safe way i think it's it's interesting to hear like yeah just compared to i suppose what we what we know about it, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, no, I understand. Cool. It's it's like I said, it's 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 just kind of this unknown entity to a lot of folks, and that's kind of why I like engaging with it. And it's fun because um, a lot of my follower base is completely based outside of the U.S. and they'll they'll, they'll ask me questions every once in a while. I'll get like a light DM or someone asks me like, well, you know, what how how do you carry a gun or what's legal, you know? And so they, and I, I kind of get to bounce back and forth on, on those sorts of issues. And so we, we kind of get to have those nuanced conversations, which is all I want to have. So it makes me really happy. Yeah, definitely. Without sounding too negative, have you ever sort of had any, I suppose, sort of negative, um, I suppose, comments or, or sort of messages around sort of gun ownership or anything like that? Because I know that for some people it can be a bit of a divisive issue. I actually have been pleasantly surprised that I haven't had any sort of thing like that. And I think I think the reason being is um, I try my best in everything that I do because I know it is a um, it is a divisive issue and it does create turmoil to some degree. It's like no matter whether I'm in a DM or on a comment thread, I'm nothing but candid, polite and professional. 
I think maybe in the seven months I've been, or I guess almost 11 months now that I've been doing this, I've maybe received like one like really, really hardball comment on a thread that we were on one of my posts and no one responded to it. I didn't engage with it. Um, and it just kind of slipped away. And I think I kind of, I, I like the escapism approach, kind of like David's point on like what bond really is, is it's meant to kind of get us away from those sorts of issues. And I understand we're kind of blending and blurring that line. We're talking about the firearms, but I, I think at the end of the day, it's important to remember that it is, you know, I respect your opinion. If you respect mine and we just kind of just carry on and happy and smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I think we need we need a lot more of that approach in a lot of different ways. You feel me? But uh, <laughs> um, so now that we're let's let's dive into the bond side of it. So I guess my first question would be um, with somebody working professional in this field, as far as like let's let's do let's do this. So between the Walther PPK, the P99, and the Beretta. Which of the three do you feel would actually most suit Bond? And I'll say like a Daniel Craig Bond. Actually, you know what? Let's let's take it even further. If you if you want, you don't have to. But for each Bond, which would you say would suit them more and why? I think um, the only time you'd ever see the Beretta suit Bond would have been like the first three Connery films where he's still driving the old Bentley. Um, It's not super action oriented because really, if you think about like Fleming's Bond, I'll make the case for the Breda there mostly. In the earlier novels, he's really a detective and, you know, 90% of the time he's in very, very deep cover situations. Um, And that gun is incredibly small. It's incredibly, incredibly flat i mean it's it's purpose and design isn't to be an action-oriented firearm it's if i need to get the hell out of dodge in 0.3 seconds fast i can drop eight rounds and hit the ground running and that's the exclusive purpose of it it's Mm -hmm. something that no matter what he's wearing it can conceal and disappear and there's not even a palm's breadth or any question iota of that gun being protruding whether he's in like a polo or if he's in a blazer whatever it may be it just isn't there which for him in, in those situations especially the cold war area you know that's that's complete life or death but that said outside of that once we even start getting a little more action oriented like you start getting towards your like your gold fingers and stuff where he's infiltrating places and whatnot i would not breach a perimeter with a beretta 418 <laughs> be perfectly mm. candid. I think uh, the Walther at the time is the perfect handgun, and to be perfectly candid, even through today, I would argue that the PPK, um, for that same reason that I just kind of made for the Beretta, suits really well. And the way that I see Bond carrying and fitting in that P99 is the same way I utilize it, and the way Benson uh, utilized it in his novels. So I keep the P99 off body; it rests um, nearby at all times, but it's more of my in the event that I need to access something in a larger frame, I can do so. Whereas mm-hmm. the PPK is on the body and it, 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 I'm on a smaller frame, you know, I'm all of like five, 10 and 145 pounds. And I wear a 36 regular jacket and you start putting, you know, it, so if I wear a jacket that's cut wide, it looks like I'm swimming in my clothes and either it looks like I don't know how to wear them or it looks like I'm concealing something. So um, if I if I tried to carry that P99 in a shoulder rig like Brosnan, it just wouldn't work. Um, however, 
for something that's more action or duty oriented, having that P99 nearby is a really great opportunity. So I like Benson's approach where Bond carries the P99 when he knows that action is going to happen and has the PPK on him 99% of the time otherwise because he can conceal it. They can get him to his other gun. You know, the pistol's really primary design is get you to your actual weapon, like your rifle, or in this case, a full-size pistol. Mm -hmm. So if you were to say, like, of the three, and in a sort, you kind of did answer. Because one one of the terms I kept hearing fly around the other day when I was in the store was stopping power. So of the three, say, somebody in the Bond community will just say Jake was (laughs) such a random person jake uh jake um so we'll just say jake wanted to go buy a a gun for carrying purposes like he's going to have it in the car with him he's going to have it on his person when he's walking around which one of those three like if you had to combine the two with the um you know like the concealed purpose of it but also the stopping power which one would you recommend to somebody of those three i would still favor the ppk so the I'm saying stopping power with air quotes here is going to be the most nuanced debate you'll have in like the firearms community of all time. Um, people will say some silly things about calibers like 22 or 25 auto, which is what the Beretta is. And, you know, 25 is the smallest center fire cartridge. So, I mean, in terms of like ballistics, it is a weaker cartridge by by a long shot. I mean, there's a reason why it was a Saturday night special. They're small, they're inexpensive, they're pocket sized. Um, that's kind of that. But the 380 auto, which is what my PPK carries, I wouldn't carry it in a 32 oftentimes modern day. I mean, I'm rebuilding one now, and once I have it rebuilt, I will probably carry it consistently just because I can. But um, 380 auto is pretty similar in size to the, the 9mm that the Walter P99 carries. I mean, really, the German designation of it is 9mm Kurtz. So dimensions, 9mm mm-hmm. being the diameter, and then 9 by 19 is nine millimeters so nine by 19 380 auto is nine by 17 so it's just a little smaller um so you're not getting nearly the bullet you know it, it's not it's not a duty size round by any means but it's the smallest i'll go for a defensive cartridge and it's what i carry with every day mm-hmm. yeah definitely i think that's um it's a really interesting sort of point with pretty much all of that and when it sort of comes to what bond was using um and you know you're sort of saying about the different sort of i suppose how effective it's actually going to be do you find that in the films they have been good at sort of portraying i suppose a real world sort of scenario with the weapons um with someone what they would actually use or do you think they've you know obviously taken a bit of creative license there as well how do you sort of feel about how they've actually sort of portrayed the weapons that he uses across sort of the franchise well i haven't started carrying the moonraker laser blaster yet so i'm a no. little disappointed. <laughs> Let, let's just wipe moonraker <laughs> out of this because we do not need to go into fucking lasers jake has a huge problem with moonraker i just don't <laughs> yeah, I, i'm not uh, a big star wars fan either so there we go that's <laughs> well then yeah we can just scrap that whole thing but i mean outside of that it's a bit you know, of course, creative licenses are going to exist. I mean, you see the the PPK fire and an exorbitant amount of rounds without being reloaded. Little things like that. We call that the Hollywood magazine, the one that stretches yeah. down well beneath the ground. <laughs> but, I mean, outside of that, there's not a lot of stuff that I'd be like, well, that doesn't make sense that I can think of off the top of my head. Outside of, like, the AR-7, the the folding sniper's rifle um, from, from Russia with Love, it's a 
it's a 22 long rifle that in the movie they claim is 25 auto, which to me has always made a little bit of sense because that dialogue about having 25 in the briefcase um, is pulled pretty much directly from the novel. And from Russia with Love, if you remember, is the last book where he actually carries the Beretta 418. So it stands to reason that initially he would have carried the 25 um, in there. And so I'm sure it kind of just melded over to some degree. Um, that's always my speculation on the matter, but I, you know, 25 or 22 is by no stretch of the imagination, a sniper's cartridge. It's meant for small game. And in fact, that rifle was actually designed for small game. It's collapsed into the stock. It's meant to float. And it was designed for um, downed airmen. They kept it under their their seats so as they ejected out of their planes or what have you they would have a small rifle to hunt with until they were discovered damn see this is what I'm about man okay so this this actually is also a, another segue so for anybody listening who doesn't know the story which is everybody i was at my girlfriend's house earlier in the summer and the podcast had been going for probably a good, I don't know, couple months at this point. And um, I, I had the Omega already and I had showed my girlfriend, dad and the whole nine yards. And then for some reason, months and months and months and months into this relationship, he says, hey, you know, I have a James Bond gun. And Caleb, you obviously know where this is going. So, <laughs> um, so I... I was like, what? So he's like, yeah, I'll go grab it. So, and he's like, well, it's a knockoff, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, here's the deal. I don't know shit about guns. Like, and don't get me wrong. I know a little, like I know I would say more than the average person just because of the bond community and shit like that. But I didn't know a whole lot. So he comes out and he gave me, it was the Manurin, if I'm saying that correct. Oh, okay. So basically- I'm awful at pronunciation, but I can tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, that's that's where the story goes. So basically, I reach out to Caleb, of course, and I'm like, hey, I'm pretty sure, I, yeah, I sent you a picture. I'm looking at it right now. So I send you the picture, and you were like, wow, that's an icon. And then so basically, if you want to tell us a little bit about it, and then I'll kind of re-chime in with, with how the rest of our message went. But so this was what he believed to be a knockoff. So from what – you were telling me it's not technically? No, no, it's not at all. So um, after World War II, the Germans were once again banned from production of arms. And so Walther had actually kind of moved locations already. They had a pre-war factory. Um, it was destroyed and raided during the war. And then they ended up moving somewhere else. And then at the end of the war, they couldn't produce in Germany at all. So they started licensing out and working with other companies. And they actually started doing their production through that company there uh, in France. And so the, there's a couple little differences, mainly the thing that you'll notice the most, which is why people who kind of laymen, if you will, wouldn't know that it was actually like an, a real Walther is the grip has like a diamond shape on it where the Walther banner should be that actually has that company's name on it. Um, what's cool about it is that's the first Walther we ever see Bond use. I'll be posting about it tomorrow. I'm doing that that new Sean Connery thing to kind of honor him um, oh, nice. going through guns. And so that's a Walther PP produced post-war in France. And that is the first Walther we ever see Bond use. And in fact, we don't see the PPK until from Russia with love. So mm -hmm. it's a really, really cool piece of 
post-World War II nuanced history, and it kind of sets up Walter moving into the current, like, it set up their business model, honestly, for how they operated in, this, like, the United States. I mean, they they were producing through a company called Inner Arms for a while. First they started importing, then they started letting them produce some to some degree, and then Smith & Wesson started producing them for them, and now finally they're actually building their own guns in the United States. And so they started doing this like licensing thing where they were giving out blueprints, plans, specs, and making sure they were being produced correctly. And, but yeah, it, it, it's a very unique thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, when he brought that over to me, I was like, you know, I don't know anything about this, but I promise you, I know somebody who does. And the best part was I messaged you and I don't even think a minute passed by and you basically told me everything you just said. And I, I like showed him and told him what you said. He's like, you hold, what the hell? And I was like, <laughs> I'm not kidding. There's people in this community, man, that know something about everything. I mean, you even went as far as you were like, that would, those are the exact grip panels he would have, would have had. I'm just like, dude, there you go. Any other questions for me, uh, girlfriend's dad, or are we good? So <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. It's, it's fun getting those those sorts of things. And I, I love the Walther history. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at them right now. I've got them just set on my desk here. It's a box set of Walther books called Walther, a German success story. And we, I um, liberated them from, from my place of business because they'd been sitting there in our members club <laughs> for, uh, for five years since I had started working there and they had never been opened. They had never been touched. The box set and a beautiful, like, like one of those, you know, the, the books that have like 12 13 inches in overall height and they're in a big cardboard stand i'm like i think mm-hmm. that's going to come home with me for this like first few months as i finish out my last semester during this lockdown thing if that's cool gm's like i never want to see them again I'm like well you never will <laughs> i can assure you of that and i i really got to kind of do some more deep dive reading and some of the some of the cool walter stuff and learn more about the history before for sure Um, you know, what you're sort of saying there, Caleb, you've sort of, you know, you've covered so much history with it all and um, you seem to have such a great knowledge about, you know, not just sort of the newer guns, but obviously the older ones as well. Do you personally sort of gravitate more towards the older films or the newer films? Do you sort of have a preference, you know, if you fancy watching a James Bond film, do you sort of go one way or the other or you pretty sort of level with it? My fiance will tell you that she's been with me for over four years now by like a week and a half and she's seen thunderball more than any movie she has in her entire life (laughs) um 
<laughs> because I, I really do gravitate towards those those older Connery films for sure. I, I love the Moore era, but I, I I enjoy Roger in smaller doses. I think I can't do like the hard binge of his movies because the just because they, they did get pretty you know they fell into the Bond formula very easily and the quips and the things and they're and they're fun to watch, but it's not my it's not what I go to immediately. And I mean, I, I love the uh, I love the Brosnan area. I mean, my my go to from his has always been Tomorrow Never Dies. I mean, it's a it's a fun shooter movie. And I guess I uh, fall into the JBR trap when they say it's an Americanized Bond film. I mean, clearly I love it. So I'm a proof of point there. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I love the Craig era stuff. But, you know, his, his are so deep and, you know, emotionally driven and they have like a a deeper story to them, I feel like. And if I'm just looking for something to put on in the background that feels like home, that I'm comfortable, you know, I, I enjoy watching or I sit down and have a drink and just enjoy, it's going to be the Connery era, the first four every day of the week. And honestly, it's going to be mostly like from Russia with love or Thunderball. I watched Goldfinger a lot as a kid. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of like pump the brakes on that now so I can enjoy it a bit more when I do watch it. Yeah, uh, definitely. Thunderball is the deserted island movie. Like you, you leave me on an island with a PPK, a knife, and that movie, I'm set for life. <laughs> there's and there's rounds, definitely unlimited rounds. films, aren't there? Yes. <laughs> a Dylan 550E reloading press and all the dies. Good to go. No, great. I think, um, yeah, that's a really good point. I think especially about the Roger Moore films, I probably didn't realise that until we went through and started doing like the, the ranking series with the Roger Moore films. And by the time that I'd got to like the third one, I was like, oh, God, here we go again. Let's um, get through this a little bit more now. But um, yeah, I suppose with No Time to Die coming up at some point, maybe into the future, how are you feeling about that? at the moment are you sort of looking forward to to sort of seeing where they go both with sort of bond and also it seems like there's a lot more sort of i suppose for lack of better terminology there's a commando bond sort of outfit and and set up in there how's that all sort of sitting with you at the moment oh i mean i'm i'm thrilled i mean that that sweater is the reason why i named my channel what it is i i'll I'll absorb that wholeheartedly i was having a hard time figuring out how i wanted to kind of like curate and and like describe what i was doing and i see a commando sweater and it was kind of fun for me too because i was um rolling back a bit when i was looking for what i was gonna wear for my um for like my proposal and doing photos and stuff i i was trying to recreate the for your eyes only the rock climbing kit and i was having a really hard time finding a good sweater that kind of matched that i was shocked how difficult it was to find a a crew knit sweater with a good cable knit that wasn't like Mm -hmm overly like modeled or speckled with like black dots that looked like overly hipstery or whatever for lack of better phraseology <laughs> there um but i ended up rolling into ll bean produced one that was like gray it was cable knit and it was a commando sweater and this is before they announced the sweater and dropped that the poster and i'm reading about that sweater and how it was used by british commandos and the sis during world war ii i'm like well hell yeah i mean if that's not a bond connection for a bond kit you know, a fun homage piece. Like, that's about as perfect as it gets. And so I, I buy that. I, I wear it for the proposal. The poster drops. I'm like, all right, this is perfect. Um, I'm going to have to just, this is this, this name of the channel. It's as simple as that. But yeah, No Time to Die has so many cool firearms in it already. Um, it, it's definitely keyed me up without a doubt. Yeah, definitely. I want to sort of touch on that as well with sort of, you know, you mentioned there, like the, the homages that you do with, with some of the Bond um, films. I know that, 
you've sort of done obviously no time to die and then i think your most recent one would have been your die another day if i'm not wrong um where do you sort of get the inspiration from is it sort of the weapons or the clothes or a nice bit of mix of both well i think it's really um i think it's everything i think that's kind of why bond draws us all in and that's why there's so many different channels out there um you know the the idea of james bond is like the living life to like its fullest extent and like having like these the clothes the cars the drinks these locations i mean it's 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 this exorbitant lifestyle that just feels like it could be out of reach but it's well within the realm of possibility if you select it and so i i draw inspiration from things that that connect to me and kind of like tell stories and i feel like the the looks and the locations and the, i mean the guns i mean they tell a deep personal story and like they connect to these scenes and they and they fit within like what i can feel comfortable wearing and look you know i, I feel like i look good in or don't look awful in is a better way to put it i suppose um I, I i leap on the opportunity and i like i like the story that connects to it you know i'm not just wearing a suit no 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 this is from from russia with love it's the train sequence um i, I love it because of this 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 and that and so you know, anything that i have I, I i like having that connection and that deep story yeah i know the feeling of buying bond clothes or you know sort of alternative for bond clothes and thinking well i don't look awful in this that's the best that i can hope for 99 percent of the time but <laughs> you are doing a very good job with yours caleb so yeah mm -hmm. so a question i had for you is what was your first purchase of a gun in any of the bond films so one that you personally owned what was the first one you had that's also seen in a bond film so the first one I purchased was that AR7. Um, they're they're like two hundred and fifty dollars. So mm. that, I was eighteen, broke as hell, and I had one pre I, I pre-ordered one through my store. So when I when I turned eighteen, I was able to pick it up like within two days because I was traveling, and it I, I love it. It's a great little pack gun. It's fun to shoot. I love introducing people to guns with it because it twenty two is a really good trainer caliber because there's no recoil. It's it's easy to handle and operate. The gun itself is super lightweight. And so, and then again, it's, it, I get to tell that story and, you know, people feel intimidated by guns. I mean, that's just a fact. And so when I, mm -hmm. when I break up this gun that like I open up the butt stock and I, I put it together and then they get to laugh at me because everything I own has some sort of silly bond connection. They're disarmed, right? They, they feel more comfortable in what they're doing. And so we get to, we get to kind of build this like good, wrap our conversation and we get to kind of square everything away and then they get to shoot comfortably. So it's been a great gun for that reason. But, um, the first one that I ever owned was when I was like 15, I was gifted the PPK that I currently carry. And that's like my handgun. And that's why it is like my favorite gun of all time outside of it just being the bond gun. It's the one I really started learning handguns, like learning about handguns with, and it's really become so much me for sure mm -hmm. um so i want to ask you have you gotten your fiance into this at all <laughs> oh um she's been gifted without her knowledge two berettas so far <laughs> <laughs> i mean she, she's like she, she, she didn't ask for them and they and they appeared but you know what she had a lot of she actually loves them and you know um she's one of those people who's definitely kind of it's like oh you know i'm not really sure and, you know, funny enough for someone who shoots as often as I do or, like, work around guns as much as I do, she just 
she hasn't been out shooting with me a lot and so she she started going more i bought her a beretta a while back a, a little mid-sized 32 auto i wanted a 32 and therefore she needed a 32 um mm -hmm. because my, my ppk project was going to take a lot longer than i had hoped based on some setbacks and i was like well this one's like 200 bucks I, I flipped another an old russian gun that i had been gifted that i didn't need and uh picked that up so she could have something to train on 32 is a really soft caliber um but it's also a reasonably decent defensive round it's not what i'd carry with every day ideally but it's a good defensive round um to, to an extent and so i'm like well it's it, it's got multi-purpose and then i can start shooting 32 before we get the 32 ppk and then mm -hmm. i bought her uh, the 25 auto um beretta it's like a his and hers match set now because i've got the 418 that bond carried and then we have the uh the jet fire which you see three different bond girls used throughout the series which is really cool it's used in thunderball right. which is my favorite film so i felt obligated morally to purchase that for her so as far as the 32 do you prefer 22 or 32 oh i mean for for shooting recreationally i would prefer just for recreation purposes i'd still prefer the 32 because i mean you get a little bit more recoil and then i actually it's just fun 22 is just good for pure plankster kind of sort of thing but i wanted to get her something that um i could get her comfortable with and she's back at school by herself this semester three and a half hours north so i, I wanted to get her something that i could get her comfortable with and go this is yours. Here's a safe. Any problems, you know how to use it. Simple as that. You know, wash my hands of the matter and like keep getting her comfortable with it. But I wanted something that we could train on that could also be used for defensive purposes instead of um lack of better word, you know. I always mm -hmm. tell people to try to buy a twenty two for defense. Well, it's really, really good if you want to tee someone off. And there's everyone who will argue, well, you know, Mossad used it suppressed for, you know, shooting or whatever. Well, they used it in the Secret Service to go up behind someone, put the suppressor to the back of someone's dome, and pull the trigger twice quietly. Um, it's a it's a sentry caliber, right? It's it's close quarter, very aggressive, um, but it's it's not it's not designed for defensive purposes, and it should not be considered that for the primary sort of thing. So with 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 the intent that I had for the gun, that's why I wanted a third two. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think sort of following on from from Luke's point there, you know, talking about bringing your fiance into, I suppose, this sort of hobby with um with sort of the James Bond side of things. We asked David this as well, and I'd I'd love to know your sort of thoughts on it. When you sort of started off the the Instagram account and that, how did your sort of colleagues and you know friends and family sort of feel about? Feel about you doing it was it all very sort of positive sort of feedback i could imagine especially from your colleagues it would have been just with the sort of industry you work in but yeah i'd love to know your thoughts about how sort of that was received when you first started off yeah i mean it was it was fun i mean everyone it's like teasing but i mean they they, they knew me well enough and they knew i kind of just lean into things pretty aggressively so they they were very supportive my friends were especially after um after m graduated i had to uh, lean on my pals for photos and stuff if i was the, the person in the images so yeah they, they they were kind enough to support me because i didn't have my obligated photographer around <laughs> so, um you know it's 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 good when people are, are kind and willing to support and I, I i was talking to a guy and the other day a friend of mine someone that I had met recently, actually, and I kind of asked him about it, and we were teasing, because 
And he's like, well, you know, he's like, anyone might tease you about it because we're working around new people. And he's like, but the reality is no one's actually going to make fun of you for it because it's, you're, you know, it's so deeply ingrained and you're, you're going after it with like enough fervor to where they can tell you truly care. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's the important part. You know, you have fun with it and you, uh, you take light teasing as it is. You don't take it as an insult. You take it with a good laugh because you deserve it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Right. So I, th- I think one of the I want to we'll start to wrap it up. But one of the questions I want to ask you bond related is and I know. So I'm a, I think you have a few different P- PPKs. I know you have the one that you were gifted. And then I know you're flipping that one aside from actually you can include those if you want. I would say what gun don't you have from the bond series that is like a bucket list gun? If it's a Timothy Dalton one, then I'll just I'll just hang up. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> well, I mean that 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 is a bucket list item, but it's like kind of like a DB5. Like it's gonna be really cool to hold one someday, but I I know one's never gonna come home with me. So um, I think the the bucket list kind of bond gun for me for the longest time. That's why I'm struggling to get a good answer out of the gate. Has always been the P99. And yes. I, I I stumbled into a guy who literally had no idea what he had um met him 12 hours later he wanted like a quarter of market value for the thing i'm like don't move don't breathe don't talk to anybody i will see you as soon as humanly possible we will meet i have cash in hand i'm not even trying to negotiate and i will take that off your hands and i was like so so enthused and i i was careful to um apologize profusely to my fiance I'm like this is happening this isn't a question of why it's happening but it's happening i apologize money's going out this is this is a need not a want <laughs> but mm-hmm. i i think the next one's definitely going to be the um i have a high power um but it's it's a mark three and i really really want a browning high power mark one and they're kind of harder to come by and bond uses them fairly often it's it's what you see in jamaica in no time to die in those stills of him like running across the dock um mm-hmm. they're a really cool handgun with awesome historical value and the last walter that i need to finish out the collection as well is a walter p38 and you see bond use it so often it comes into goldfinger pretty heavily all the guards use it he drops it right into his shoulder holster when he's um going like sneaking into the goldfinger's meeting and such so Things like that really, really top the charts for sure. That's like the Luger-looking one, kind of, right? Yeah, it was the actual. Um, it, it was the German Army sidearm during the Second World War, and so it's it's relatively easy to kind of find a find a Walther P38 to some degree, but they were because it was used by the military. Um, they had so many other manufacturers making them. It's like if you look for a M1 Garand um, or Harvey mm-hmm, mm-hmm. World War II, some are going to be stamped like Winchester. Other ones are going to be stamped GE or something like that because everyone was turned into an arms manufacturer. So to find one with a Walther banner is kind of my my golden goose to some degree. And it's it's one that's out there. I've handled a few. None of them were actually Walther branded. So those are yeah. some they I for sure. So I've always wanted to ask anybody that would have the knowledge, and it's definitely you now that we know each other. What do you think of the P90? 
would you ever want to own one? Have you ever fired one? And is it any good? <laughs> oh, it's cool. We have a full auto one in my rental fleet at work. So I've been able to handle it a, a lot over the years. And I've sold some of the semi-auto ones. They're, they're, they're cool, um, without a doubt. It definitely has like that. It, it fit really well into the Brosnan era. You know, you see Renard mm-hmm. running around with it. Um, it's like the epitome of like the 90s, for sure. Um, right. It's not, it, it would not be like an ideal kit gun for me, but I sure as hell would run it. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. It's it's cool. 5.7 right. is a cool round. I mean, you get 50 rounds just resting on top of the gun. The whole magazine runs the length of the firearm on top of it rather than having, like, something down. So it's a compact little gun. The hell of It would be a really cool one to drop on a backpack. But, right. I mean, I've already got that sorted out with that BRN. I am, that was another one that was on my bucket list. I mean, I, I was drooling over the AR-180 for the longest time. Tomorrow Never Dies being one of my favorites. And yes. Being able yes. to build out that carbine that he uses in the movie was so, so cool. I mean, I, I didn't think I was going to be able to find one ever. And once I start, it's it was like, you know, one of those things that I just knew at some point I would have to buy because you kind of got that glimmer of, all right, this is things are lining up for me. And... I, I found out what it was, and then, like, felt like it was, like, maybe a month later, Brownells mm-hmm. dropped the upper receiver, and they're like, we're redoing the AR-180. I'm like, well, goddamn, all right. Sounds like it's for me. <laughs> that's in the very beginning, right? That yeah, one yeah, that's, that's, that's the pre-title sequence. That's when he's, like, yeah. running around in a leather jacket, machine gunning on I top was going to say, he looks like an absolute badass. That's one of my favorite, like, uh, just, like, um, how did we say it like uh combat looks he's got yeah and that is that is a great gun cool. and it's cooler um, too when you um if you like watch some of the if you can find the uh, deleted scenes and stuff he like assembles the rifle and they, they like made it a little too campy and that's why they cut it where like the barrels telescoping so he like pulls it out and I'm like well that doesn't make sense why would a rifle barrel telescope but um and like the what, what kind of adds to the coolness of that scene is if you read the Benson novel, he like ice climbs up like a frozen waterfall or something to get to that bazaar and like sets up the camera and gets his kit ready and goes right and goes down dirty. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So I think my last question for you before we wrap this up here and I'll kind of put it in two different ways, just in case the first question isn't something that's happened. I'm hoping it has, though. So the the question would be, and if you can't answer it, I'll give you a follow-up question. Has there ever been anybody come into the store with a weapon from the Bond films that you haven't, you were just in awe of? And then if not, um, now I'm losing my train of thought. God, son of a bitch, man. <laughs> this always happens. No, okay, no. So, I feel good. I, I, I do have one of those good. stories uh, for the first question. And I remember what it was. Okay, so I'll ask you both, and then let's yeah, answer yeah, them. Okay, so the first question would be, has anybody ever come in like, hey, check this shit out? And then you're like, holy crap. And then part two of the question would be, I'm, I am literally am losing it. No, I'm not. I am. I'm not. <laughs> part, two, part two would be, um, yeah, I've lost it. I swear to God, I lost it again. All right, just go with the first one. I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'll start talking and give you some, uh, some white noise to figure it out. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> There was there was one guy. He was this really funny, uh, shorter little Filipino dude, and he just went by Jimmy. He, he, that's all he ever asked me to call him. And for a good like five months, 
Jimmy was going nuts. I don't know if he was about to get married and was like dumping all of his money into guns before she could tell him no or what. That was kind of the vibe I was getting. Um, but he was buying like every freaking Bond pistol like out of the gate. I mean, there was Walther PPs coming in, pre-war PPKs, 19, you know, uh, 1962 PPK in perfect condition. And we're talking like most of those guns like $2,500 on their own. Mm-hmm. And he was getting them with the box and the cleaning kits. So like perfect mint sort of things. And it was a good like four months where like once a week or once every two weeks, my inventory specialist would uh, go, hey, Caleb, come back here. Jimmy has another gun and you should handle it before he gets here in case you don't see him. And so I was able to like fool around with these things. I'm like, holy shit, this guy's building a hell of a, you know, it kind of definitely, I, I was having some hardcore FOMO. I mean, I was like, this, mm-hmm. this is definitely going to be me when I have money. There's no doubt in my mind. And <laughs> I then I got engaged to an accountant, but. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so I feel uh, like everybody's significant other is an accountant in a way, though, even if they're not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mine's a professionally <laughs> oh, certified CPA here pretty Which soon. Which is so. even worse. Yeah, that's even worse. <laughs> But, you know, um, I, I need that because I would definitely spin the coin if it didn't happen. But, yeah, I mean, that yes. was hanging out with my boy Jimmy and seeing those guns come in. And he, he was like, yeah, 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 I know what this is. And he closed the box and kind of just scurry away. Like, I, I never saw him shoot them. And so, honestly, part of me wants to, like, stage a rescue operation because a gun that just lives in a safe is a gun that's not living its life. Um, right. It's And that's why I love my the PPK I'm rebuilding um, because you can't I, – I would, I would be – ripped to holy hell by the older folks of this community to some degree not all of them if i was running around with a pre-war ppk that was in mint condition like throwing it in a holster drawing it shooting it slamming it into the ground whatever you know it, it would be destroying a museum piece to, to them and so having one that literally has been through hell and back and needs a pretty much complete refab gives me pretty much creative license to do whatever the hell i want with it when it's done it's not worth anything to anyone except me so let me live my life mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so I remember the second question. <laughs> um, <laughs> second question would be, and you may have already touched on it with the P99 story, but what would you say to wrap up this whole shebang? What would you say is your fondest bond moment with one of either one of the guns you own or one that you went through and purchased or just handled what would you say is like your like top of the mountain like this is the best moment i've had when it comes to using or being near or around one of the bond guns i think the coolest bond gun memory i've ever had and i promised the person that i was interacting with at the time that i'd be back because there was another one um i got to visit the nra museum in virginia and they had two screen used james bond guns and Damn. they weren't with they they weren't with they, they have a whole section of their um of their museum there like the ones that are in movies and such and they weren't with it i was just walking by and i glance up and i see like a gyrojet rifle which was used in you only live twice it's the ones that look like the weird rocket pistols and rifles like they don't look yes. like real guns. um yep. i got to handle the gyrojet rifle that was made for the movie that was intended specifically for bond use which he never used it but part of my heart knows that sean connery at least handled it on set that's the the lie i live um Mm -hmm. and the serial number is like jb 007 
Oh. The the I, I wore like black nitrate gloves and I handled that and got a few pictures with it. And and you know, I, I didn't even mean to, but we, we had to dress professionally for that day. I was chaperoning a, an event and I was wearing um the, the quintessential the Fleming Bond suit, the black knit tie, navy suit and white shirt. And to this day, those black gloves are still in the the pocket of that suit as like a good luck charm because they touched nice. that box. And the one behind me that I didn't get to handle because it was going to be too cumbersome to get out. And I, pro- I I told them I'd be back. And they said the next time I was there, they'd let me handle it, was the screen used from Russia with Love AR-7 folding sniper's rifle. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. It was See, the coolest Yeah, for me, the closest I've gotten at this point is that uh, my girlfriend's dad's Walther quote-unquote knockoff. And then, but I mean, I know some people that have the P99 and things like that, but I haven't handled any of those, so definitely jealous of that. That was, I mean, it, it's one of those things. Like I said, those gyro jets were produced by a smaller company, and they never really took off. It was like a unique style of round and stuff. It literally uses like rocket fuel to propel the round, um, so it never really took off for obvious reasons. But my God, it's to have that in my hands and to like handle it and talk to museum curators about it. And it was one of those things that just, it was about the luckiest moment you could ever have. Cause I just referenced it in passing. I was walking by with one of my friends that I'd met in a previous trip there who was a curator of that museum. And I said, Hey, um, that's a gyro jet rifle that was used in you only live twice. He's like, no, I don't think you understand that was used in you only live twice. Mm-hmm. Like the Which, one and only. Yeah. He's like, this is literally a gun that was built for the movie. And there's, there's no getting around that. I'm like, well, yeah. like, oh, like what do crazy. I have to do to get that in my hands? Like, ask nicely. I'll hand you some gloves. I'm like, well. <laughs> <laughs> Please. No, but, perfect. I mean, well, yeah. I'd, um, I'd just like to say a massive thank you, Caleb, for, for coming on because some of the information you've given us and your knowledge is pretty much unparalleled out there. And, you know, I can only talk for myself, but you have taught me so much more in this last hour or so than I could have ever imagined for. So, yeah, I'd just like to say a massive thank you for coming on and, and sharing your knowledge with us. Um, and for everyone out there, please go and follow Caleb because it's one of my personal favourite accounts. I know Luke's the same um, at Commando Bond. But, yeah, thank you so much, Caleb, for, for coming on. Thanks for letting me uh, ramble in your ear for a bit, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat. You guys are awesome. I've loved listening to the podcast. And this is my favorite thing to talk about. So giving me an excuse to do so is something that you have to literally shut me off on or else it'll keep, I'll just keep going for hours. <laughs> no, well, yeah, I'm looking forward to no time to die and hopefully we can catch up again. And yeah, mm-hmm. you can tell us all about the things that we don't know about that film. I would love to do so, gentlemen. I'll, I'll bore you to death some more. <laughs> no, not at all. And like I, like I said with the story earlier, um, you know, Definitely needed to have Caleb on here because I shot him a message. I said, do you know anything about this? And next thing you know, within two minutes, I was an expert on that gun. So I don't think anybody can beat that. That is for damn sure. So thank you very much for coming on, my friend. And uh, like we said, this is Caleb Daniels. He's at at Commando Bond. Make sure you give him a follow. Cheers, gentlemen. Much obliged. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Mike. Okay, so. That was Commando Bond, Caleb Daniels. Thank you for for coming on, joining us, buddy. That was, uh, like I said, very informative in um, in a very specific uh, realm of the Bond fandom. So 
really enjoyed talking to him. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for that, Caleb. Make sure to to go and check out his page if you're not already. Um, it's got some amazing things on there, not just not just about guns, but also does some amazing sort of you know pictures of him recreating different iconic Bond looks from you know Pierce Brosnan, Sean Connery to Daniel Craig. So yeah, some content there and a very knowledgeable guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and then. Um... I think next week we will have a uh, another cornerstone of the the community joining us. We were lucky to get Mr. Joe Darlington, and that one was a hell of a time. So you guys will really like that. And spoiler alert: we kind of we kind of tease David Zaritsky a little bit. You know, which was pretty <laughs> pretty entertaining. Now that we've had Jake and I talk to him all the time, and and he and Joe are probably. Uh, to the uh, most, um, you know, they've been around the longest at this point. They, they're they very good friends, so Joe was giving us some stories, and we were kind of leaning into David, so that <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. And uh, I think David will get a kick out of it, too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that's another week done. Yeah. Well, thank you, guys, and we'll see you next week. All right. Have a good one.
name's Bond. James Bond. 